yeah, time runs differently on the other side. And, you know, um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you your, your sense about that, about time. Um, and if, especially about this arrow of time. And I don't know how much you know about physics, but the, that second law of thermodynamics and entropy. Time is circular. It goes around, comes around every time. Um, and I, I've, been, I've been looking at, uh, you know, the, the, the snare theory, the, the snare theory of, uh, of the, the universe. There are different layers and different, they're, they're vibrating. Mm. And that the vibration is, and when you started to talk about hot and warm, uh, I, was talk, I, I remember the story about that uh, ice and fire came together and created the earth. People are intensely involved, you know, and, and, and particularly at some point of the year, particularly around, uh, around the darkest time mm. of the year, intensely involved mm. in creating the, the, those things that will make time or that will make the world evolve in the right way. And perhaps this is something oh. that relates to your, your image, uh, Tyson, that thing that work uh, produces the next turning, the next turning mm. of wheels. Um, yeah, both of you, I've been so excited about, um, you know, what you've been doing. You know, do you say your name like Rune? Or? Yeah, I just call myself Rune in English. It's the same word. So. Rune, oh, it's the same, too deadly. Yeah, I'm just, um, I'm just so excited about your work, you know, both of you. And Rune, the, the, the book that you're doing uh michelle is it michelle michelle yeah it's michelle exactly yeah Perfect. michelle that uh the course you're putting together that um you know the indigenous knowledge from the frisian way and everything that you both are recovering and how you're doing it with that that revealed knowledge and um yeah, it's just very exciting to me so yeah <laughs> I'm, <laughs> cool. I'm i'm glad we made this time and I, I hope we keep get to keep doing it mm. totally good Good idea. Yeah. Good idea. And and you've like been that. what you've been cutting hazelwood today. Yeah, yesterday it was a, it was a great time again to cut hazel. So we went into the forest as an area where we were allowed to go, and then um, yeah, we cut the, 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 the let's say one three year olds, and then you split the wood with another piece of wood. So you split it, and then you make um, um how do you call that in English? Um, you make pieces of it, long long strips. Yeah, and from the from the inner part that you recover, you make uh, uh basically. So you make the the, the 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 other forms shapes, and then in the old way, you put um stalks in it, and then you weave it together, and then you make a backpack or you make a pack or you know that. Oh, nice! Yeah. It, was a good, it was a good time to do it, cool. and the hazel was uh is good because the sap is flowing a little bit, so it's easy to recover, it's easy to take off. So um, yeah, it was a good day in the yeah. forest. There was a bit a bit of sun. A week ago it was minus fifteen, and now it was plus yeah. eighteen. It was quite weird. Yeah, we also had these. We also had these crazy fluctuations in temperature right now. It goes like from <sighs> minus twenty to plus thirteen, and that's yeah, it's, it's really odd at the moment. <laughs> Mel Melbourne's like that. Melbourne's famous for that. They, they talk about a four seasons in one day. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. All. <laughs> yeah. What have you been doing today, Rune? Uh, I took uh, I took a six year old daughter to the dentist. Uh, she's struggling with it, <laughs> so uh, and uh, she's she she's become frightened about that thing about these weird COVID masked people who are putting things inside her mouth. So it's a little yeah. bit tough. Um, but well, that's uh, that's yeah. a bit disappointing. I was I was what I was looking for is that you were like fermenting some seal fat or something. 
groovy It's like, yes, I uh, took my daughter to the <laughs> dentist today. <laughs> that, no, that's what I do all the time. I, the, the only thing I do is like have separate sets and carving and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, so, so where, so you're from? Uh, you're you're uh, coming in from uh, Ned Netherlands, there, Michelle. Netherlands, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rune, you're you're calling in from uh, where then? Denmark. Uh, Denmark, huh? Yeah, yeah, sweet. And me, as you know, from Australia here, and just uh, it's yeah, like a big uh, triangle of of fun yeah. <laughs> across the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, actually, uh, Michelle and I uh, took your uh, your advice and just we yeah. just met online and had a had a chat. It was super interesting. Uh, good chat because we because we're sort of working on similar things, but from like very different angles. So uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was really great. And I loved your book because I was reading it, and um, well, it's it really lovely to read because I saw a yeah. little a lot of similarities and also. Yeah. A lot of differences that I thought, hey, wow! So this is this is the more northern part. This is more the Netherlands part, but it's so closely related. Ah, uh, yes. look, quite yeah, interesting. I, I could just see. So, so Rune seemed to be coming more um, uh, with this uh, from this uh, epistemology, you know, epistemological. So that the thinking side, you know, first as a basis, where you were sort of coming more from an ontology. Yeah, but Rune was uncovering the. The, the the ontology through his epistemology and you you're you're trying to uncover an epistemology the way around. Ontology. Yes. So, yeah mm. you're both doing yeah. the same thing but uh back the other way Different and way. Oh, these two have to meet this is uh, <laughs> it's it's really good. Totally. turn around it's really good totally it's good to see yeah you. yeah perhaps i should send you my finfile article as well michelle because i have this unpublished yeah. article which is this yeah. weird consideration if my own sort of religious uh, ideas. Uh, and it's too weird that I, for me to have been able to publish it, but then I sent it to Tyson uh, and it's, it's reflecting on, on uh, a Viking age concept, which is fin faring, meaning that you visit the fins. Now in old Norse, that word fins meant the Sami. Um, yeah. and, and, and people had these very dynamic and, uh, relationship with the Sami in in, uh, in in those days so apparently apparently they had the idea that you you go and visit the Sami in order to gain religious knowledge which is weird ah. it's, it's a from our perspective contemporary or from modern perspective it yeah. would be a bit like saying you you become a Christian pastor by visiting Muslims uh, yeah. but 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 it's also in some way super meaningful because you learn from some other you know more than you learn yeah. from so but it's uh, not the content it's not the content that they were learning you know it was the mm. knowledge processes yeah this was the yeah. feeling that yeah. i got from your paper yeah and that was what that was what really caught my eye like uh like your book amazing the um the calendar Mm, the yeah. calendar you did as well, that seasonal calendar. Mm. And I'm like, yes, and I can recognize all those seasons. We've got the same ones here. Mm. You know, yeah. there's, there's never four seasons. There's that plenty always, yeah. you know. But yeah. uh, so that work really grabbed me. I actually sent that to my son um, because he's okay. he, 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 he would prefer to be a Viking uh, than, than okay. uh, anything else. 
<laughs> so he's fascinating and he's he's doing uh ancient history and archaeology and pretty much all he wants to do is go and dig up viking ships one day um oh, <laughs> that's wow. son. so yeah so i sent him that stuff he'll love that but i didn't send him the finfaring article because that that i kept i kept that for myself you know for me that was that yeah. was the thing that was the treasure that you sent me was that one because i see a methodology there like yeah. a beautiful beautiful methodology of um yeah of, of cultural re recovery and yeah. knowledge production and generation and regeneration. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's beautiful. The way you associated it with uh, Brazilian creolization, yeah. uh, to me, that was, um, that was the trick yeah. as well. That yeah. was like, and oh, yes. This was also yeah. something that, that I picked up from, from your, your writing, Tyson, that, that you, have, <laughs> you have this focus on, or you focus away from from uh, ideas of cultural purity, for instance, mm. which uh, and towards a more dynamic image of culture, where um, and and I think I think like in the world we live today, I mean, some of us might be relatively culturally unambiguous. I am, for instance, but most people aren't. Most people are diasporic, uh, mm. uprooted mm -hmm. uh, mixes, and boy. Do these Afro descendants have they figured out ways to use that as a way to to uh, re-engage traditional or reinvent traditional knowledge? Mm. They're Native mm. Americans today in Brazil who are using Afro-Brazilian technologies and knowledge mm. to find their own indigeneity and their own ancestrality mm. uh, mm. Uh, ancestry. Well, because um, it's 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 all been mediated by place, yeah, by the entities yeah. and spirits of the land and the place, yeah. You know, Michelle, it's mm. that uh, it's that animism that you find in like, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. in the water, in every object, every tree, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah what, I was, what I liked was what, what I noticed, um, and I'm not sure where I read it, but it was the, the tan tree, the, the tree that is um, in, in the, the yard of a farm, which is typical for, for the northern uh, uh, areas, you know, uh, like mm. Scandinavia. But also here in, in the Netherlands, we had those trees. These trees were, were mm. family trees. They were revert. Uh, you were you were good for those trees because they they gave you the the, the land fat that were there you know it was it was mm. like like um, a special tree that was there probably Rune knows more about that than, than me but what I, what I loved about it was that you're reconnecting with place again and you have this mm. tree which stands yeah. for the, mm. of course the life tree which is of course something mm. else but also is is within your own within your own farm yeah and what I've been looking at is that what I noticed was that the 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 upper part of, of the Netherlands, let's say that's Groningen, Friesland, Brente, those areas, uh, in pre-Christian time, there were there was a lot of connection with. They were actually Vikings, you know. Were, the, the connection was always there. So all mm. these knowledge systems. When I started to look into it, mm. there is so much in common. And then if you look at the knowledge systems of the Japanese, you look at the knowledge systems of of the 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 the, the, the Greeks, for example. There are so mm. many things that are similar. Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah. there was a, an ancient standard way of thinking more or less that mm -hmm. we've lost mm -hmm. um, what yeah, i loved was reading in, in because I've, i'm also working with a guy who's who's uh, an archaeologist uh, an experimental archaeologist and and what, what, what we noticed was in the netherlands and even in the stone age we were already changing our environment mm -hmm. uh to 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 to, to like it, was, it wasn't it was still hunter and gatherer but we changed the environment in order to get as much biodiversity as possible. Mm. Um, hazel was one of the sacred trees we had. Um, and if you look at yeah. the sacred plants that we had here, 
hazelnuts. They were they were used the way they were. They were you made you made a hole in into the sand, and then yeah. you put the hazelnuts in it, and then you cover it up with sand, and then you put mm. uh, the then you have a small fire on it, and then you you have actually everything in it. Mm. Food is good, but also the hazel uh, stood for wisdom. You know, so it's it's yeah. it's quite. But and, and the law one, as well was my understanding. Like um, yeah. you can't yeah. transgress. Like uh, in that Holmgang I was reading about with the in the hazel rods, yes. that's where yes. you, that's where you have the you fight and and to the death or yeah. whatever you know. Yeah, that was that's, my, is, that's my favorite hazel thing from your that, part of the world. <laughs> that that sounds totally like the kind of custodianship culture that you typically hear about. With uh, uh, is the right word or first nations australians or mm. Aborig Abor aboriginals uh that thing about actually changing the environment to promote biodiversity um i i i i, I this is not something i know a lot about but like this thing about you burn a certain plane yeah. in a certain mm. way and that actually imitates the mm. uh the uh impact on the on the uh space of the um the post ice age what it called keystone species the big mammals yeah, yes, that, exactly. that were yes. basically eradicated by humans on every single continent like uh, mm. as soon as as soon as we came there but but in some places humans seem to imitate the impact on the environment by these uh, by these keystone species yeah. well what i what i love to see here for example i was i was i've been delving into it of course and what you see is that um from that stone age perspective where we were changing the environment to get the road of the rodeo sorry the red deer in because red deer was sacred so we got the red deer that was like the the, the bison for us you know uh the, the red deer was, mm -hmm. was basically the bison um and then if you change in time what you actually saw was that in, in the netherlands we had those small uh, farms uh, which were uh, situated from uh, away from each other, but that was connected to a piece of land. You had a mm. piece of wilderness between brackets. I don't want to call it wilderness because I think it's connected. In, at that time, it was connected together. Yeah. But we also, and, and in time, we had those what we call grief bushes, which were pieces of forest that we had on farmsteads where we had uh, specific uh, species of wood that we harvested for tools, for basketry, for all kinds of different things. And these were really uh, essential for, and we also had harvesting from wild uh, leeks, etc. So wild plants we harvested from that place, and so wild it was connected. It, yeah, oh. a leek. I mean uh, the onions, you know, we, we, the wild leeks. Yeah, so yeah. The, the 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 wild uh, plants that we ate, um, it was connected with the farm because it wasn't only. I remember that from my from my ancestral point, I've been looking into that, and what I saw was that my from my, from my mother's side. Uh, there were uh, what you were called um, um, farmers with their own land, and they were also called weerboer, uh, which was a farmer who had a weapon and who had a horse, uh, which was something that was special in those times. But in that time, they also had a piece of land which was uh, natural, natural, which was not in where we where we had, I believe, the nature spirits etc. connected mm. there. And you had the farm, you had your horses. You had your dogs, and everything was connected. The horses were connected with the land. The, the, the you were connected with the dogs and the horses. So it was quite intricate to see how that worked. And then, what I saw now, and that's what I'm trying to bring back in the Netherlands, is that those little pieces of forest, these patches of forest that were there, they're they're gone now. They're they're since the 19 since 1945, after World War II, they're eradicated. 
because they're going away, people are going yeah. big land, etc. And these small patches, they were the patches that reconnect people with the land. These yeah. were the patches mm -hmm. that, that gave people their culture back. Yeah. Um, this, and when I talk is, to, I to yeah. I think it's super interesting this thing, and it could also be related to the idea of growth and sacred sacred growth, which is something. Yeah, yes. There are specific places in India they have it. There are specific places in West Africa where they also have this idea of sacred growth, and yes. you find it. You find it in Northern Europe that thing that there's yeah. a there, there, there are specific uh, spaces of uh, forest that are sacred. Yes. You can't touch them, or there are specific yes. trees that you can't touch. You need to. Yes. deal with them in specific ways and sometimes <clears throat> like we, we uh, I think that you know when we look at this I know this from the Danish perspective but I'm sure that this generalizes all over Europe that 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 the destruction of for instance what you could call the sacred landscape is fa fairly recent like yes, uh, I, I in in the um, in the farm where I grew up if you go out on the field, you can find pottery shops that are 2,000 years old. There was there was there was a, there was a farm there 2,000 years ago, uh, okay. and two uh, burial mounds have been plowed down in those fields, just close to the farm. Two bur uh, Bronze Age burial mounds, ancient sacred sites. In the in the village area around, there are probably 30 uh, mm. burial mounds that has disappeared and are still in the process of disappearing. In my lifetime, one sacred source have been, uh, have been uh, filled with concrete uh, in just in that, that, uh, that uh, small village where I happened to grow up. Mm. And I think this, the, the industrialization of farming uh, and the, the, um, yeah. the destructive impact, not only on mm. the, uh, the kind of, Pure, for, purely from the ecological side, but also from the point of view of human relating to the, the mm. to that ecology, a 4,000-year-old burial mound, that is 4,000 years of humans relating to the landscape. It, it has mm. probably meant different things through mm. these different, but it's it's a continuous uh, relating. Well, it, to was, it was important, uh, you know, for the civilizations, the early civilizations, uh, to to completely destroy that, particularly you were talking about the sacred groves. Yeah. It was important to destroy the sites, and you can read it in the Torah, you know, in the Bible, the Old Testament. You know, that's one of the first things that that Yahweh tells everybody. It's like you got to cut down it, <laughs> got to cut down the groves, you got to cut down the sacred the sacred trees. That's, that's where they got their power. Get out there and cut. In Africa, they're still doing it. You know, because uh, that, uh, that that civilized God has no power in those places. And, yeah. and so mm. those have to, you know, you cannot civilize until those are, are taken from the people and from the land. Mm. Yeah. But still, there, there are room because there are still here around my area. We, we recreated uh, Celtic common grounds where we have those Celtic fields. They, they found historical Celtic fields there, historical agricultural ways. They restored that, so uh, it's not even. It's like um, uh, there was a, a burial mount of a copper. Uh, um, as a it in English, copper. Uh, a blacksmith from copper, you know, uh, working copper yeah. did it. They found a burial mount and it stayed intact. So um, we have an ancient grove. We call that yeah. the Wodans Eiger, which is still there because it was. Um, it was actually called uh, Wodans Eiger. 
Yes, they're, they're really yeah. cold, Wodan's Eiken, uh, in that area. And they're very old, but what they did was they coppicing it. By coppicing it, it stayed there, and they, they used it. Yeah. So what you have underground is the ancient old trees. And if yeah. you go there, because the first time I went there, I thought, these are not my big trees that I expected. But then I heard the story behind it, that they were coppicing it since, since, since the beginning, basically. And then that area is still ancient wood, uh, mm-hmm. and you feel it. At least I feel mm-hmm. it. If I go there, there's... Mm-hmm. There's a sense of 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 of, of I don't know primal, um, mm. um, and that's and then I, I I also realized that 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 what I la- last time I wrote a little article in Dutch and I said we have to become beavers again, we have to become mm. we have to retake our own place in in the environment. We were like beavers in the past. We were mm. we were uh, uh, and and what does a beaver do? It changes environment, but it enriches it. Yeah. It, it changes Can the I environment in such a way. Sorry? Do, do you know, because last time we spoke, I, I, I told you a bit about the uh, raven totemism uh, yes. idea that I'm working on at the moment. Do you know, because and I'm continuously working on that, I, I can tell you about it, Tyson, also, but beaver, do you know if there's actually been beaver totemism? Because that would be flipping amazing, particularly in this sort of land that is built by damming. I mean... How mm. how beautiful would it be if there was actually mm. like uh, Netherlands beer totemism? Imagine if you could, yeah, I, rethink da- damming into being like the beaver model, where you're actually um, you're yeah, making dams you, that will assist to the river, you know, rather exactly. than killing yeah, the river. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. But you could just leave oh, the I, beavers to do it. The, the, the <laughs> friend, yeah, that was the best thing to do. But but I but I what I found out was also, and that was surprising to me, that for example the the Astragalus bones of beavers were found a lot uh, at certain areas in in Europe, uh, and okay. it seems to be that they were also recon- that they're they're actually used as a talisman uh, oh. in in I believe in Poland and in in uh, not, not sure I have to look it up but I found that out, and right. when I saw those ancient tools that were recovered, you saw that they used beaver teeth to create mm. axes etc. Uh, mm. The way coppicing is done now, if I look at the height. That's beaver height, you know? So people have been looking at that mm. animal. Of course, we all have done that. And then we've, we've probably learned a lot from that, how they change things. But what I like about the beaver is it changes it in such a way that it gives back. And yeah, if we can yeah, get that yeah. back in our system, because we did it in the past. If I look in the past in the Netherlands, I'm, I'm convinced we did that. The way mm. we worked in the past was we, we, we created areas, we had those sacred groves, we had we had places where where we had uh, uh, areas connecting each other, so things could migrate. So, mm. from an from an ecological perspective, there was a balance mm. that changed, uh, in my opinion, um, during industrialization, of course, but also after the war, it changed a lot. Um, mm. But after I spoke to you, I started to to look into folklore, mm. and that's an amazing source. I mean, mm. wow. Mm. The, the old mm. names for birds, like like we have a, a bird which which is called in nowadays rook, but when mm. in the old days it was called schimmelsnavel, which is molted beak, and it's oh. correct because they have a white area there, so you can you can look at that crow crow uh, species, and you can imagine that. So I looked up all these old names in different dialects mm. that we have, mm. and that was like a, an eye opening because we mm. we looked at the, an animal and we looked at it. Now we have we give it a name and it's done. Yeah, uh, one thing mm. I would really encourage you to do when you're doing that stuff is 
uh, notice when there are family uh, family markers in those uh, folkloric names for animals. Uh, one mm. particularly important animal in uh, northern Scandinavia is the bear. Uh, and, and bear totemism basically basically never really disappeared in northern Scandinavia. Mm. And in very like ways that are so iconically Viking that it sounds like something out of a movie or something. People mm. like drink, drinking bear's blood and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, and uh, and in Finland, where it has been particularly strong, they have even a, a, a project that they call Karhun Kansa, which means bear people. And that, that's a, a group of people who are re-engaging bear totemism. But it was not only Finnish, it was only among, also among the Sami and among the Swedish. And if you look at how these people talk about bears, then it's all family. It's all the un old, yes. old sweet uncle in the forests and, and uh, these kind of names. That's the same thing here. It's the same thing like, for example, the badger was called uh, Grimmart. There's also, it's also a relationship. So all these old names, I agree with that totally, because in, in, if you look at different dialects here, the names were usually, um, the fox was the trickster, you know? So uh, in, in the stories that we have, the folklore stories, and the names were also uncle related. So there was a relationship in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But also in, with stones, I was surprised to find that, that we, there were also uh, um, um, uh, uh, places where we had, by a lack of a better word, these places were stones where we had, uh, where we talked law, where we talked uh, different. Yeah. So these were specific areas that, that you had a, a more or less sacred stone, um, mm -hmm. which was also, uh, um, um, the, the area was also placed with, with um, hazel ruts mm -hmm. around it. So it was surprising to find these things out. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. That was awesome. Uh, yeah. It's the, I, I, the folklore is, it, it is important. I, I, um, I did read, uh, I read the Greenlanders sagas uh, translation. Of course, I, I can't, I can't speak mm. that, uh, but I did read the, those sagas and I did, um, and I found like uh, they did refer to the, some of those people who went and spent time with the, the Inuit uh, people there. You know, and they they were there was kind of like almost a cautionary tale, uh, sort of warning people not to spend too much time uh, with. They were calling them uh, scralings, like demons or something. You know, but they were saying if you spend too much time, like they noticed that sometimes like people would come back wise, but sometimes if they kept going and spending too much time, they come back uh, uh, strange and too strange mm -hmm. to be able to fit back in with the mm -hmm. uh, village life anymore. Uh, there was one character there. I remember reading that. Have you ever felt this rune, particularly in your like? Uh, it's I think it's different, uh, Michelle, for you because you're you're inhabiting your landscape and you're yeah. drawing your knowledge from the land more than anything else. Uh, but Michelle is going far afield. I mean, sorry, rune, you're going far afield. You're going to Brazil, you know, to learn these patterns. Of, mm. of being you're you're going mm. you're going all over the place you, you're talking the scralings everywhere does it uh, do you ever feel like you're losing yourself or becoming no. strange no. to the people who know you i no, no i wouldn't say that i i i wouldn't say that uh i mean i i i do i do get a of course a very different perspective but i think that from the outset uh, from the outset, um, we are, I don't know, 
maybe, maybe. I mean, from, from the perspective of my, my parents who are kind of normal middle class farmers and school teachers, uh, the, uh, the stuff I've done is really, really weird. There's no question about that. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, um, but it's also, it's not something I'm talking a lot about. And it's, it's well, you're saying you're very grounded in your in land as well, and maybe that's what holds you there. But what about you? Have come across weird people though, like you're seeing. Yeah. You 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 mentioned to me that you were very concerned about some of the um, that's kind of uh, white supremacist, like white activist, you know, kind of Nazi groups who are kind of digging back into a Paleolithic past to find some kind of racial purity, racial superiority, yeah. uh, cultural yeah. superiority. I'm very concerned with that and partly because um, the way I'm working yeah. myself with folklore and also with Viking Age heritage and all these things, that is stuff that they just love. <laughs> and and even when okay. I'm I, even when I'm working with indigeneity, now I'm not applying the label indigeneity on white people or majority Europeans or you know Eurocentrics, mm. but but mm. even when I'm, then I'm using traditional knowledge instead, but it's sort of inflected mm. from indigenous, indigenous studies and so on. Yeah. Uh, but these people here in Scandinavia, you can find people who are actually learning from uh, white supremacists who are actually learning from Native American contemporary post-colonial discourses. So they would be talking in a post-colonial indigeneity discourse about land rights as opposed to uh, the threat of oh. Muslims invading our countries and stuff like that. You can find that here. So right. and, and this is part yeah. of the reason. And I think it is, it is an insane catastrophe because if that, uh, the stronger that becomes, the more you take one billion euro descendants and you seclude them in a, from access to their own cultural heritage. It is cat, it's an absolute cataclysmic mm. thing to do to that one billion people. Because if their cultural heritage mm. is identified as Nazi, of course they're not gonna they're not gonna gonna touch it with a 10 foot pole, right? So uh, and, and and this is part of the reason that that I'm this is part of the reason that I'm doing it while constantly um, denouncing, for instance, white supremacy and bigoted worldviews and so on. Because if, if, if nobody does it, then there's one billion people in the Western world who are quite influential for on uh, just reasons, uh, you know, but who are very influential, they're just going to stay in this secluded, uh, or they're going to stay encased in this modernity, which is really somehow connected to the root of the whole problem. So, mm. uh, so, um, so that yeah. I actually think that that particular struggle, this is also why I'm running a totally hardcore uh, cancel culture regime on my, mm. my platforms. You know, if I put on something and uh, a white dude puts the wrong Facebook reaction to it, then you can be ejected. Just like, okay, you're blocked. Yeah. <laughs> if you put yeah. a lot, for instance, a laughing smiley at something that refers to Judaism. Okay, you're one of those guys. Block, ban, delete. <laughs> but, and I, I, I'm not, I actually, uh, I actually appreciate the, that, that you are, uh, have some sort of contact with these people, Titan, because I actually believe that 
relating is really, really important and creating those relate those uh, connections is, is also a really important way to mitigate that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. But so so I, I, I don't feel it's a good <laughs> solution to react like that, but I think it's yeah. unfortunately the only one that's available to me. And I, I'm constructed in a way, as opposed to uh, most historians of religion, I'm constructed in a way that I want to spend my time on stuff that mm. that 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 is that mm. that can can teach me something, can positively teach me something. Yeah, I do have a and little you bit have, of. A, um, you've you've done that. Look, even even just the seasonal the seasonal calendar that you've done. Mm -hmm. uh, just yeah. looking at those, what do you have? Eight seasons there? Seven, eight seasons? It's actually the the, the it's uh, actually they had. They, in terms of seasons, I think they used to have two seasons, but then there was the whole, uh, then there was the whole uh, lunar month system, which was really important to people, and and really like mm -hmm. uh, where there would be twelve or thirteen lunar months in in a solar year, mm -hmm. uh, and and that's I, I've been trying mm -hmm. to. But I'm then also struggling. there's there's different uh, times where you're doing different things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally, where animals totally. are doing different things and where you are. Yeah. 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 And that's also it's just I the information the in that was, um, I mean, just to live by that calendar, you know, yeah. that's enough. Yeah. You're connecting that way, you know, that's, that's what I, it, that's, it, I, I thought it as a beginning. Oh, I thought it as a beginning at least because when, when, when I, I read, uh, I, you, I, I found this treasure trove of a really, really old school book written by a guy who was, by the way, more or less a Nazi mm. himself. Uh, but but, but uh, when you just look at the information <laughs> that he puts in there, uh, that then uh, then it, yeah. it's so complex. It's like in that valley, there would be specific rules for how you move your goats from the bottom of the valley and to the, the grazing pastures and what day. And that would be all connected with all kinds of uh, also, also cosmological ideas and stuff like that, and I haven't been able to go into that detail mm. in that book. Uh, but oh, yeah. I think I think of it as as a, as a really good start. And I know I actually I was thinking about mm. this for you, Tyson, that you might be interested in these people. I um, <clears throat> I, I found some uh, North Americans who are they are working with a very sort of uh, landscape and sort of food. Uh, what do you call it? food um food decolonizing food kind of thing focus and they they're, they're white people who are looking right. towards their germanic heritage but they grew up and are in very close contact with the uh anishinaabe um and so they're people who so all so right i so i spoke to them a lot about calendar um and and they have created their own cal calendar where they're merging the northern european ideas with the landscape they're actually living in so they have wild rice month mm. I, I basically told them guys if hay doesn't play a role in your life perhaps consider calling something wild rice month instead of um instead of uh, hay month and they, they actually did that and uh, uh mm. so um yeah just just an example of, of, of an interesting way of, of working with that kind of stuff that's exactly what I'm doing with my students yeah, at the moment. Exciting. With your what? With my students, Just I'm doing that. that. That's exactly what I'm doing with my students. I'm asking yeah. them to, and I've I've talked to Ivar. I've told you before the the elder uh, from Norwegian, the old guy. 
who taught me about also the the the, the uh, he uses the Hagel rune as a as a year-round uh, seasonal round system, and he says it comes from Norway from another long time ago. Um, that, and and that's quite that interesting guy, because sorry, is that the guys with the martial art? Yeah, yeah, he is. Okay, but it's 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 the, the martial art part is 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 is, is uh, one thing, but it, 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 I've talked to him about. Uh, because I was looking at those things, but look, what, what kind of trees did you use? And if I look at how, how he created, or he didn't create it, he says it comes from from, from from way way back. It's all connecting at the same thing. Huh? You have the your fulgia, yeah, and you know that it's basically all over Europe that you have an animal connected to you, um, uh, a spirit animal. But what I liked about it is that the seasonal round we have we had four seasons here. Um, we also had, if you look at the elements, we had air, ice, uh, water, um, um, what call that? Uh, fire, and I'm missing one, but we had five elements instead of four elements. Um, and when I looked at that, 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 that seasonal round, what I did with my students was, okay, now I know a lot of things. If, if, if the, the May thorn is blooming, you know that you can find uh, still some roots of that plant over there. And if you look at the, the size of the tree leaf, um, and if that tree leaf is about that size, you know that the soil is ready to, to show things. Um, so that, 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 that phenomology, I think it's called, if that's, that's still here, that knowledge is still here, and I'm using that. And what I'm asking my students to do is you're making your own seasonal round of the place where you're at. So you're sitting there and you're observing the environment and you're looking at, okay, when, are the, when, when, are, when is the birch tree ready to tap its sap? How is that connected to the standard to, if you look at, at mm. the great bear in the sky, you know, versus, mm. uh, so if, if the stellar area, um, at, it. when it stands in a certain that's place, it. you know that that you have your, your tapping, so you can tap yeah. in. So that, yeah. that's what I, mm. partly I teach them that because of, of all the resources that I've had. And the next thing I'm doing is, you guys need to learn your own, and, and you need to learn your own area. You need to study your own area and you need to become one with your area and, and the best thing that i got back was from a lady and then i noticed that she became uh, sensitive to her place uh it was a park where she was always sitting and, and observing because i asked them to observe only observe that's it and then she came and she was really pissed off and i said why are you so pissed off I, well they've cut my birch tree i said they've cut your birch yeah they've cut my birch tree i said before you started this study you didn't, it, it wasn't your bridge tree and it's still not your bridge tree, but you own it now because you've gotten a sense of that place and you're starting to get ownership of the place. So you feel connected mm -hmm. to your place. And I, and I found that to be the best remark of, 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 of ever because I said, this is what, what I'm trying to get across. Mm -hmm. If you are re reconnecting with your area, reconnecting with the seasons, reconnecting with the patterns that you have when the sun is there. And, and if you look at, at ancient symbolism, uh, if you look at the Hagel rune, you have the, the, the equinoxes in it, you have the, the, the midwinter, midsummer in it, and you even have the connections in it when, for example, the roe deer of the roe deer, the red deer are going to be in a mating season. Uh, mm. These things are so connected. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and if, if they, they start to see that, and if I see that in their mm. faces, I'm going like, yes, that's what I want you to have. So when I when I heard you guys mm. talk, I thought, oh, I'm I'm, I'm literally doing it from the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. Uh, I, I think it's so amazing. I, I really wish that we would we would be able to work together on. Yeah, on we should. We should. I, you, you're working at a university, right? Yeah. Yeah, applied science. <clears throat> I'm actually, <clears throat> and right now, I'm actually in the process of 
a little bit going out of academia because I, I just feel that that <clears throat> right now I've been working on the, uh, to, uh, the totemism project that's yeah. supposed to reintroduce the idea of raven totemism to uh, contemporary Eurodescendants. And then I'm like, I've been doing postdoc applications on it, and it it, it works as a postdoc application. So I, I, I should be able to get funding, and maybe I'll still have a shot at it. But I'm just thinking, oh, why the fuck? I like, I'm, I'm, I feel then I can sit for three years and pour amazing amounts of resources in making that stuff um, peer reviewable. That's the only thing it's about. It's where instead I could take the knowledge I already have. I know the knowledge is there. I know the Raven totem is there. I know the the uh, I know that 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 you can create connections with the the Haida Klingit people in uh, on the Alaskan coast. Okay. You can create connections with everybody who also have Raven totemism. You can reinvent Raven totemism. You can look at the Karun consign in Finland. Look at what they're doing, and then you can then then you can start playing it into the world. And that's actually what I want to do. I don't want to sit and and and, and create. Nice peer reviewability. Well, look, what is its nature, the, the raven? Is it, um, so is it just a stereotype, that idea of raven as trickster? Like, is that just something I'm getting from popular culture, you know, in Viking books? Or <laughs> well, what's no, the not. nature of, of the raven yeah. for you culturally? The, the, uh, I think the, the important thing about raven uh, <clears throat> is that, that, you know, from the first, it, it's a little bit similar to the bear and and the seal actually that it has mm. similarities to humanity and that creates it's associated a... with uh woden or something yeah what yeah is... it's associated with that... odin yes. and 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 that is important like odin is called uh, the the Havnas, the the raven god uh mm. and that means that that through through uh odin the nordic raven motif is associated with being a creator being a trickster being an ancestor and shamanism and that those four things are identical to what you find among siberian chukchi what you find among the koryaks in siberia what you find among mm. among a whole line of peoples down through the pacific coast in north america the taltan taltan shimchan inuits inupiaks in, uh, different kinds of inuits haida uh, klingit uh, kokwakowaka all kinds of these northwest pacific they have different forms of that complex raven as a creator trickster ancestor and shaman and and sometimes sometimes perhaps one of the aspects is a little bit toned out and so on but that is a totemic thing particularly the uh the ancestry thing and ancestry mm -hmm. is is an important part of the raven myth and it's in all of northern europe so the people in cornwall they say that that king arthur lived on in the form of a raven and when, mm. when you told me, Michelle, that people in the Netherlands, that they used to have uh, corvids, crows, ravens yes. as as pet birds, yes. that yes. is also, I think that's also in, in, in it's kind of a, a way that this, this lost, actually rejected totemism has sort of been reinvented a little bit. Mm. But then what happens in, in Northern Europe is that the, this totemic relation is very powerfully rejected. And you get mm. the idea that Raven is the apostle of Satan. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. That, that, that's a folkloric that's, name for, for Raven. Um, Nevermore. That's, that's Never the same more. with wolves, huh? Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah, probably, yeah. With, with, if if I look at what I, what I like, what I like to see now, what I'm also seeing 
I'm a cognitive biologist by training. What I what I love about the COVID's, COVID, sorry, COVID's, <laughs> COVID's, is that they are so intelligent. They're so mm. they're teaching us so many things as teachers. Mm. And when I looked at that, and I saw that the ravens returned to the Netherlands a few years ago by reintroduction, yeah. mm. wolves are back in the Netherlands. They came in. Exactly. Two years ago, in the first time. And so what you see is that, the, yeah, so mm. you see that these ancient animals are returning again to the land. Mm. And for me, mm. it, it feels mm. almost like it's it's um, it's time, you know. Science mm. may, may sound strange, but mm. it's like uh, we, we, these animals are really teachers. Mm. The the, the mm. wolves and the dogs. If I look at my dogs, I've I've learned more from my dogs than I learned at university. I've learned more from my horses than I've learned from from, from a professor that I know of, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they yeah. teach me much more. But mm-hmm. also, I think that's something, these, these like you, you talked about bear, and I remember a story that you, you had the browns, which were bear, beaver, and there was another animal, which were grouped at one, but in Europe. Uh, and I was going like, Not hmm. your badger. Uh, not the badger. No, the badger was something. There was, there was, there was, there was not the badger. It was, it was. They were called the browns. Oh, the brown hair. Sorry, no, I got it. Brown hair, beaver, ah. and uh, the bear. And of course, the hair was a sacred Powerful. animal. Powerful. And it's, these three were together. Mm-hmm. And if if I observe them, well, I haven't observed. Yeah, well, I've observed bears in Sweden, but but I haven't observed them in, in the wild and as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, only their tracks. But what I loved about them is that they're all they're they're. If if my students are looking, for example, at a hair, I always ask them. What does that animal teach you at the moment? Mm. Because they're teaching you something about your behavior, mm. uh, the way you're moving through the landscape, the way you're mm. you're connected with the landscape. The same thing for for birds. I mean, ravens. If you look at them, if I go out in the field and I know an area there, there are two ravens. There's a pair of ravens, and I've seen the youngsters play together. I've seen how they're they're like a family structure. It's like the wolf. The wolf has the same family structure. And what I noticed then is that in the in the European, in, in the, let's say the post, no, let's say in the, in the modern European way, we all think from a, from a hierarchy perspective. And in the wild, we, we, we place that on dogs, we place that on wolves, we place that on birds. But if you look at it, it's family. It's all mm. family. Mm-hmm. I was, there, was a, there was a little a tit, blue tit, no, not blue tit, it's long-tailed tit, we call them in there, it's a little bird. And people were saying like, yeah, they're always this, 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 and this. And then people noticed there was a researcher that said, hey, the youngsters of the, the year before are helping the parents with the youngsters of this year because they didn't have a mate. Mm. That was unheard of before, but it's completely logical from the perspective of, I think, our culture. Because mm. we, 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 in, in the past, we had this culture of, of relatedness and, and, and looking at family systems and learning mm. from these family systems. Mm. Oh, that's just my opinion. Sorry. I just <laughs> I wonder if the nature has changed because of all the single parents <laughs> happening in <the laughs> society. The spirit of that's gone across. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that. Mm. So I started uh, making something today. So you were making things out of hazel. Uh, yes. But preparing for our conversation, I was thinking, like, what do we have even close here, you know, as a way of carving, you know? And um, I think you have uh, bone carving there. Yeah. Yeah, you carve bone, yeah. work with bone. Yeah. Yes. So I did that. Yes. I, I got a piece of uh, dugong bone um, from back up home uh, that I've kept with me for a while. A dugong is like a sea cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States, they call it a manatee. One of those ones. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was working with a bone, but making a flint knife. 
so you know making the bone uh, handle for the flint knife and, mm. and doing that one it's not finished yet but it's a work in progress but i'll keep nice. uh, work, working on this one over the next couple of weeks oh and I'll nice put those uh yarns that we have you know in this yarn i'll, I'll work that into that uh bone so um it's it's the it's everything that i've read that and and the beautiful things that you sent me Maroon, but also michelle or the 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 big talk that we had when you were telling me about bow making and all these yep. like amazing things you know and um Still yeah, there, yeah. And i'm just working all that in there and i'm working <laughs> it in there as an answer to the people who contact me every day of my life now and it's it's people who oh. are um they're like uh you know, non-Aboriginal people, you know, and they, they go, oh, I'm white, you know, I, I don't know any native people. How can I, how can I meet indigenous people and get indigenous knowledge? And I want to refer them to you and to your story, your knowledge and, and your way of, way of doing things, because there's nothing white about that. White is this terrible thing that, that's been invented and that it's a terrible thing to do to people. You know, what you're both doing is, um, you know, to me, it's it's profoundly powerful and and um and exciting, and I think it's it's mm. it's a it's a direction forward for like the people all around the world could, you know, learn mm. from. You know, I I um I did have a, uh, someone come over to, from Brazil to sit with me and have mentor. Uh, they came to get mentoring from me, you know, about okay. things and you know <laughs> and that that happens, and you know, but I'm. Um, so, sort of like ah, oh, there's more on your doorstep, you know, mm. um, than you know, than even from me. And mm. I don't know, Michelle. I think I was telling you about that uh, that Friesian woman <laughs> yeah, yeah, who contacted yeah, 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 yeah. me and asked me that question. But yeah. she said I'm Dutch, you know, and she's saying, but I, yeah. where can I meet Indigenous people? And I yeah. said, well, you got Friesians there, go and talk to them. And she said, but I am Friesian. <laughs> and then, like, it turns out, you know, the week before she'd been making skates out of wood. <laughs> and shit and i'm like yeah. and you know then she's talking about all the disputes they're having uh, across the tribes and i'm saying woman you're blacker than me what are you doing asking me for get out there like <laughs> anyway so i guess uh i guess what you're doing is you're you're seeing what's right there under your feet mm. like you're seeing it and you don't have to I, look I, far yeah. Exactly. Like the exactly. same thing. Uh, I mean, that's I've also been just, thinking uh, about. He's just he'll he'll pick on one thing, one tree, one tree, and then he'll just branch out from that. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah, well, the same thing. It's, I saw what you made because I then I just picked it up. This is this is what I made a couple of uh, weeks ago. It's it's uh, uh, basically ah. a stone stone age uh, flint knife that we that I created. Um, oh, but it's it, it's it's also uh, this 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 piece that I made. This rope is made of the bark. Of linden tree, um, so and it's a certain process that you have to do it, and then you make it into a little rope, and the rope is connected to this. This is the skin of a roe deer, which was hand, uh, <sighs> which was um, smoked before. The only thing which is not this. This is a piece of glass, so that's. Did you make that yourself? Oh. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Be ashamed, no, no. making me ashamed no, no. of my napping skills. Now you're you're a better. No, no, no. Than me. I got a good, I got a very good teacher. I I I started wow. this and and he, he helps me out with the flint napping, because that's something. Did you use antler? Else you guys did you use deer antler for the napping too? I heard that. Yes, yes, I got a deer antler that I have. Yeah. Ah. You use deer antler and then you chip oh, it off. Wow. You chip it like that. So you chip I it off that. very gently. 
and they chip I would love to see that. Okay, oh, I'm, I could, gonna I, show, oh, I'm gonna show you mine. I didn't have it myself, but I'm gonna show you anyway. Oh, but it's, oh it's, cool. it's, it's we're whipping out our. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, uh, I just feel terrible. Like the, the, mine's only like three inches long. I, I feel really inadequate. It's so tiny. Oh, it's perfect. You know. Yeah, I, 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 so I, much I, bigger than mine. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I, 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 I can't compete. I can't compete with that stuff because I, ha I had mine made. Oh, nice. Uh, because I don't know how to. But this, this was actually I actually had this made specifically for rune carving because oh, uh, nice. because the um, the uh, obsidian. Uh, is named uh, it's named um, it's called Raven Ink in Icelandic and and mm. so so when you use it so it's so, so making runes specifically it's a volcanic glass it, it yeah it's it's, it's obsidian ah <coughs> uh, uh, so, uh, so I'm going to run out so, now and go and get get my piece my piece and show you <laughs> <laughs> to, I do have a little obsidian knife oh my goodness nice. Nice. So there's sky stones here, and they got uh, they're, they're they're very very powerful, very powerful things. That the okay. the piece that I've got. Oh. Yeah, for some other. Can I see that again? That is that's something that's really special. It's um you found you found a very good bit, a very good yeah. piece. Mm. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. And well, I tell you, you know, when the well, rat book is coming, I didn't, right I didn't make it myself. I, I ordered someone to make it too, <laughs> because I don't oh, know how to do mapping. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Mm. It's the way it went, huh? Because I, in the old day, we have those different uh, flint mines in the Netherlands, but also I, I've, if, I've, I've been looking around where you can get flint, mm. and there are different places of getting flint, mm. uh, different colors, different pieces, which is really cool. But I must admit uh, that knife that you have is uh, a, a carving runes with that. Wow. Oh, yeah. But carving runes, he didn't finish the sentence. He's carving them like into the chest of somebody who's just killed with it. <laughs> with my axe. <laughs> oh, man, my tiny little piece of coastal flint. It's just so little. It's like a standing uh, but I, like a box cutter. I, I got to pay the other box cutter. <laughs> but the bone is big. Made a box cutter like from before there was even boxes. It's a terrible thing. Anyway, that's a nice. That's yeah. a nice little. So I found I found this coastal. I had to look for a long time for this coastal flint. It's very hard to find. Um, I'm down here, you know. And I was uh, I was part of the big trading. Uh, I was in a trading activity where we sort of revived a, a traditional site where people would trade things, and and people just came in. You know, from all over and trading all different kinds of things and had obsidian, all that sort of thing. Uh, and I was doing some napping with this coastal flint and learned how to find it. You know, but I found this one. It does wash up on the beach down here, right at the bottom of Australia, you know. And, um, but you go, we don't have any ravens here. So we've got crows, crows mainland. Yeah, but if you just go across the water there from where I am now to Tasmania, you find ravens there. But they don't uh, have crows in Tasmania, so down at the bottom with that of the well with Antarctica, they got ravens. I went there. That was the Palawa, the tribe there. They took me up to the top of the mountain, and I met that raven up there. And I, I'm thinking they must like the cold, because yeah. you go up the top. 
Antarctica, not the Antarctic, you'll find the raven there too. Yeah. Mm. Do they have raven uh, totemism there, you think? Um, I did not, I did not hear all of the story. They okay. didn't give me all the story. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I wasn't there for long enough or maybe I was uh, too silly <laughs> to hear it all. But I think I have to keep going back. Yeah. Um, Sounds cool. Yeah, there was an old man there that gave me an oyster shell uh, from there and I had to wear that around my neck until it fell off. So it was about a year I was walking around with this bloody oyster around my neck. It's terrible. But uh, it came off in the shower, Alec. Like. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, the yeah. bone carving is something which is done a lot. Yeah, uh, tell me about the bone carving. That's so cool. Well, we, there are a lot of archaeological finds here also in the Netherlands where you have those. Oh, I should have, I should have known, otherwise, I could have something. It's like, it's like they're, they're um, um, the shapes are always linear, you know, like, like um, for me, when I saw, saw it for the first time, it's like they're all little runes together. So it's like uh, a lot of um, mm. uh, Hegel runes carved in one. So you have a, a system of lines in it. And what mm. you see is that system of limes, you see that, you see that everywhere. At wow. the same time, uh, you see different ones. And, and I found one which was really cool, which was, um, wasn't that, no, it wasn't bone. It was an amber stone, but it was a mm. horse. And on that horse, there were dots. All these dots were pointed uh, in a certain shape. When I touch these dots and I'm, I'm massaging my horse with it at the same system, it starts to relax in the shape that the figure was carved. So it was mm. like a teaching, teaching instrument, you know? Ah, um, ah, that was yes. so cool. So you find, a, could, you find could, a pedagogy. You find a pedagogy for your teaching. From that, yeah, it, it was it was so a cool. model, like, old model yeah. connecting you back for knowledge transmission. Uh, awesome. How to do it? Awesome. Ah, it's process. I was so surprised because I saw it and I thought it's not the thing hmm. you dug up. This is something I have to try because why? Why did they I've put just all excavated these in that shape? a teaching method? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I've excavated <laughs> a teaching method from ah ah ah. See, it's this living knowledge. Yeah. You know, the ancestors are there. They awesome. have that. They have this for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, probably. Uh, that's really cool. It's, it's cool. Some yeah, things are that's cool. That's a good story. Yeah, mm. it's cool things. Mm -hmm. I didn't find it myself because it was it was it wasn't something I found, but it was something people has found, and I saw that, and I saw it, and mm -hmm. I thought, yeah. this, 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 mm -hmm. this. Yeah, I have to try it with it. my horse because why did they do it? And then you, you, the feeling that I got when the horse when I started to massage these points and when the horse started to relax like that, I thought, wow. Yeah, this is this is amazing. So yeah. it was it was pre domestication of the horse. So I was like, huh? That means mm. that people had a relationship, and horses were sacred in our mm. culture mm. for a long. We had we had sacred white horses here in the Netherlands in the past, mm. and we, we, we the people were asking them about uh, advice, etc. White horses were mm. carrying the chart, etc. So when I saw that, then I saw that figure. I thought, ah, I'm starting to understand why horses mm. are so important. Yeah, mm. our culture. Yeah, you find you find a lot of horse uh, symbolism in all through folklore. It, it's all over mm. the place, and also, mm. yeah. Um, hey, um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you both about some other lore too. Um, Rune, you might have come across this one in some of your texts, and also in the just the oral the folklore that you know. Um, there is an elder who wanted me to ask about this. Uh, 
so an elder that I know, she, she's really, really interested in elves at the moment. And she thinks elves, okay. she keeps having dream and she, she's starting to understand that elves are going to, elves are important at this time in history and that they're doing something. Okay. Um, and, you know, and with technology, with what the world's about to do, you know, with all of the things that are going on in the world, there's something that the elves are up to. And she wants to go uh, to Scandinavia um, and the Netherlands and what she wants to go right up yeah. through. And, and she wants to find the elves. Okay. She's, she's an elder who's like, I need to go and, you know, I need to go and talk to the elves. I need to talk to them. So what, okay. uh, yeah, you got any messages or thoughts that I can pass on to her <clears throat> from the elves? I know, I know. Uh, I know in the Netherlands we had those, uh, the, 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 the elves were, of course, part of the landscape. Uh, and what I know of them is that they were small uh, and, and, and that they were connected to, to, to the kabouters, uh, the, the gnomes, little gnomes, you know, little mm. gnomes and elves were together. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of things which are modern interpretations. So I don't know that much about them. I do know that, that they were here, that they were. Uh, there were also, I believe, there was a connection with the dragonfly, somehow. Um, but you know, oh, dragonfly! I do. Mm. Elves. Mm. It's not a topic that I'm like super on top of. Um, the, the the root of the word in Old Norse is alvar, uh, and uh, that's what becomes elves or uh, in in English. And a lot mm. of the material on elves is uh, after, after conversion, and that's where they start to be sort of demonic, and and uh, mm. illnesses would be called elf shot, or yeah. uh, mm. elves are yeah. alluring sexual beings that are calling someone mm. uh, away, mm. right? I think mm. uh, the, the sexual aspect, as opposed to the, the sort of boyish Victorian token image of what elves is, uh, the sexual mm. aspect is important. And, uh, and, and I think that has to do with relating. At some point in history, these relating to elves became, uh, became problematic. And then people started rejecting the, relate, the relating instead of basically making babies with elves. Um, and so, mm. so this particular mm. uh, erotic sexual aspect, I think this can be compared to what you see also in totemic relation, totemic relation with bear, totemic relation with seal, mermaid beings, mm. that mm. people have an actual relation to the being. And then at some point in history, that relation breaks. And then you get these tales of Ragnarok. Uh, the world mm. collapses yeah. when that relation is broken. But if you yeah. go far north in Scandinavia, you find that you find myths, for instance, in bear totemism, where the mm. relation is broken. But then the narrative is about how to regain the relation. So mm. the, the actual mm. story of a a myth would be the story about how a person goes through some sort of mystical quest to regain the relation with the bear spirit, mm. the marriage mm. with the bear mm. spirit. So it's funny because that uh, there's you've got that sort of that making kin, so mm. relations and relationships, but but sexuality and sex as well is about making kin uh, yeah. with people and and yeah. with beings and entities, even from different yeah. groups. So you've got Definitely. the elves, and I've also seen in the sagas like a fair bit of. Uh, uh, sex going on with trolls and like troll princesses yeah. and you know, yeah. all this yeah yeah 
and gods gods have have sex and marriage uh, marriages with trolls all the time i mean the, the yeah. distinction line between actual trolls and gods is not very clear and this is also something when we come at these these things from a contemporary perspective we tend mm. to want to see these things as highly distinct that gods and trolls the very opposed categories but they're really mm. not and uh, mm. and uh, with Christianity, you get the idea that angels and demons, they are certainly opposed. They don't make babies with each other. They don't play funny games with each other, make friends, mm. live at each other's places and so on, mm-hmm. like the trolls and the gods and the Nordic uh, mythology. Um, and that I think that point that <clears throat> it's not necessarily very distinct uh, ca- kind of unambiguous categories, but rather continuums of how to relate with an, uh, different other than human and individuate how right. to manifest different other than human subjects. There's a mm. story, uh, I read a story about a man. He was going home with his farm. And then he, then he saw one of the subterraneans, a little spirit, sitting on a, sitting on a fence. And he said, do you want to come home to my place uh, and live with me? The spirit said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Spirit come home. And then it becomes actually, then the spirit changes in nature. It becomes a, uh, it becomes a house spirit, a guardian of that place. Mm. Mm. place flourish and be good so that's a develop the, the the spirit is sort of changing in also in the relation with the human yeah and when you look at something like elves you see that mm. that there uh, that i think there would be a continuum between what what we would call elves and trolls mm. Mm. a continuum between elves and uh, little people subterranean people Mm-hmm. The idea that elves, for instance, live in old burial mounds, and that's a common idea in Scandinavia, suggests elves as associated, I think, with ancestors. So with uh, that, is, yeah. that is an idea that you find that elves are, are probably a kind of ancestors. Mm. Uh, but then you also I see... I think I'm almost seeing like an historical story of uh, domestication. I just don't want to get too far away from that story with the man who brought this, the... That entity home uh, to the house, and the house yeah. changed that entity. You know, I'm seeing like a, a like almost a potentially a historical story of of the process of domestication, of you know people, um, you know, forming sedentary communities and lifestyles, and uh, and and moving across. You know, maybe bronze bronze age around yeah, there, I, or something like that. That reminds, that reminds me of something. That reminds me of that uh, we have uh, in, in in the Netherlands. We have two things. One is the, the little person living in the in the fireplace mm. underneath it, which is the house spirit, mm. uh, which is living there. You have to mm. keep him content, etc. That was in the old days. And I also just remembered that um, I have, a long time ago, I found on a beach, I found, I found a round stone with a round hole in it. It's called an other stone. I found that out. And what they told uh, in the past was, if you look through that stone, you can see the other world. So it was a round stone, you look through it and you see the other world. Um, I've been looking through it. I haven't seen that at the other world, but <laughs> it was quite, it, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a stone. It was something that, and I still have that stone and I still carry it uh, once in a while. Uh, but it's, it's, it was something which was in, uh, I think in Scotland, it was in Germany. It was that that stone is all over uh, Europe. And I'm not so sure if it's if in Scandinavia, was a stone that was, that was used for protection. It was a stone that mm. was used to look to the other, to the other spheres, to the mm. other places. Mm. Um, so that might be interesting to, to look at, maybe. Yeah. You have to I think, think about what you need to do to be able to activate that. Yeah. Um, you have to find it, it yourself. What I learned was, 
but then also yeah, how to protect yourself when you're doing that you know because yeah. you hmm. look across and something might come back with you you know um, yeah, yeah. i keep telling this to all the like i i some of my new friends are silicon valley people and i'm talking mm -hmm. to them all the time they're, they're going on these big dmt trips and mushrooms and everything and they're going across to the other side like into this this world that they imagine themselves uh tinkering oh, on oh, man. and and, and so uploading wild. uploading their consciousness up into this other world you know which is what they long to do you know with the neural nets and the the AI, artificial intelligence and everything else but they they all like right across the board to speaking to lots of different people who don't even know each other and they're all saying the same things they're talking about they're encountering these beings that they're calling machine elves all right. They're all calling okay. them that. These, they're saying that yeah. they're meeting machine elves yeah. in this other place. Yeah. So nice anyway, I, just when you talked about looking through to the other side, I'm like, yeah. you know, don't just casually look through that rock. You never know yeah. what's going to come in through your eye yeah. there. You want to prepare yourself a little bit first. Make sure you're grounded here. Uh, yeah. Uh, they might take you through that rock and you might be stuck there. They'll call you up. <laughs> be part time. of your spirit. Be there sitting with them. You might look through and there'd be like this naked uh, spirit there sitting on the rock, like brushing the hair, and then that's half you gone forever. You yeah, probably definitely. <laughs> that is actually, that is actually something that's that's all totally associated with elves. The idea of rapture that you're basically being uh, abducted, and uh, and there are uh, some of the people who are some of the people who are uh, thinking with elves uh, are thinking in elves in association with the UFO mythology because UFO mythologies. That when they started emerging in the mid 20th century, they seemed to mirror elf mythology. They seemed to be a reinvention of Eurodescent and elf mythology. They live in, in, in kind of these shaped things that are sometimes standing on glowing poles. You, the UFO itself sort of kind of imitates the shape of the, the burial mound. And then they look like elves. They have pointy ears and they're little and green and whatnot. And they abduct people and have sex with them. That's pretty much what elves do. Um, and or what what uh, how how Eurocentric used to think about elves at that point. So so there's a there's something with 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 uh, Martians and elves too. Oh so. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, alien um, abduction law must be old, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and yeah. when you read when you read the folkloric accounts of it, mm -hmm. then you also get these ideas, these yeah. images of people who, for instance, lose their mind. Because mm. they 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 enter into a mountain and mm. and encounter elves, but then they don't manage to get back properly. Mm. And I think the, and they lose time I, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They lose Something time. Like yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's always part of the thing, the story. Mm. Yeah, and if you compare, um, this, and that's I guess that's the last thing I wanted to ask you both about is uh, is some physics stuff about time from your point of view. But yeah, what are you going to say first there? Um, I was just saying, that if, if you compare this, uh, this idea of abduction or people going crazy and through marriage, relations, sex with elves and so on, if you compare that to what's going on in the African Central religions, then these religions are basically very, very complex technologies for doing that in functional ways. You create relation with other than humans uh, and establish them and uh, mm. and like when, when when you're working from inside those religions there, there are huge dangers and contingencies mm. involved in working with that stuff and mm -hmm. they have boy do they have co co like competences and technologies to handle that stuff 
it's not like I don't know hippies oh, going yeah. to Peru, Peru and dropping some ayahuasca and just like I don't know. Uh, it's it's like it's so yeah. kind of technologically like, precise. Yeah, sort and, out my daddy issues. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna vomit until I don't want to smoke cigarettes anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just the funniest things you you hear them do. But they they're all doing that though. All these CEOs. Yeah. Are, yeah, it's, 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 lots it's, of lots it's, of people doing all that now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I did want to ask you about time because that's part of this thing with the elves is the time. You know, they, they, you always hear these stories, even like Rip Van Winkle, you hear that, that must be a, an older story, surely. You know, he's, he goes to sleep and, you know, it's, it's the future. Um, they all, yeah, time runs differently on the other side. And, you know, um, Yes, I wanted to ask you your, your sense about that, about time, um, and if, especially about this arrow of time. And I don't know how much you know about physics, but the, that second law of thermodynamics and entropy and all that. So the second law of thermodynamics is this uh, idea that uh, in a vacuum, so in a closed system, um, complexity inside that will break down over time or yeah. simplify yeah. and break down, and that that is entropy. And that is what makes time run forward. Um, that's the idea, you know. And there's, but there's a funny little thought experiment about that that second law. It's called Maxwell's demon. Thought you might like that for the demon. But there's, so there's this idea that what if you put a, a a demon inside that box? And you know, so you've got hot and cold particles swirling together, complex you know, in this vacuum and there's a demon sitting there and over time inside that vacuum, if nothing happens, then those particles will just break down and become less complex, you know, but what if that demon, he, he builds a little door in there and he lets the hot ones through and the cold ones are moving slower. So he keeps the cold ones there. And so he sort of plays a game where he, he's separating the hot and cold particles. And in that separation, he's creating some energy and that that's what he can feed on. But the work that he does, it's only, it's using just as much energy as he's taking <laughs> from that food. <laughs> and for me, that's, it's, yes, it's about time, but it's also, it's a perfect idea of, you know, all these jobs that we have to do and that, and that we have to work and work mm. and work and, and mm. what for, you know, yeah. uh, half the time I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not getting back. I'm only getting back you know, through the work that they're doing. Mm. It's uh, just exactly what I'm putting in. So the question would be, why would you work in the first place? Hey, and, uh, yeah, question. so I don't know, I guess uh, you could you could comment on work if you didn't feel like commenting on uh, physics. Um, but if you wanted to talk about the physics, I'd be interested in, um, in notions of time, Scandinavian notions yeah. of time and how time runs. And you might have, might suspect that it might run differently or in cycles or waves i'm not sure time if i remember what, what ivar told me was that the time is circular it goes around comes around every time um and i i've been i've been looking at uh, you know the the, the snare theory the, the snare theory of uh, of the, the universe there are different layers and different they're, they're vibrating mm. and that the vibration is and when you started to talk about hot and warm 
uh, I was talking. I, I remember the story about that uh, ice and fire came together and created Earth. Mm. Uh, then you have talk warm and cold together, Earth. Um, mm. That was what, what popped up in my mind. Um, mm. Well, how many but, layers but, are there? You've got like there's Midgard and there's how many layers are yeah, there well, that's, that's, the, in those membranes? If, if, what I've and probably Rune knows it much better than I do, but I remember that if you look at the the, the, the Hegel Rune, as, as he explained it to me, is that you are the center and you have the, the middle. So you're in the middle, the middle earth. And mm. then you have uh, Asgard above there and you have uh, uh, Helheim on, underneath there. I believe that's something like that. But then you have mm. the four directions going that way and that way. And on that, there were the other, uh, 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 what do you call it? The other um, uh, places. Um, but, but 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 yeah, yeah. Well, at least if you if you look at at, at that symbolism, because that's what I think where it is. Mm. Um, what he explained to me, Ivar explained to me, it's it's like you're in the center and you have your your. It's like uh, a map for uh, migrating uh, mm. along the lines, so you can migrate up, you can migrate down, you can migrate left, right, and mm. you go to the different areas. And he saw it as a teaching map. Um, mm. But that's what he explained to me. And that's that's. Oh, and I'm map. wondering what Rune will say from it because that, that's something I'm mm. quite interested in. Well, it's a cosmic map that might help Auntie find these elves when she goes up. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. So she don't go the wrong way and hit like the, the dwarf giants and stuff. Like, what do you got, Rune? Um, <laughs> I would think I would think with time. Or is this um, secret stuff? If this secret you can't share it, that's all right. You could just say no. I, I can't share that. <laughs> It's um, high level knowledge. You can't have that. <laughs> um, I'm. Um, I, there's a figure called Mundilfari in the Nordic mythology, which probably uh, is a kind of personification of time. And that figure is somehow, uh, the, the word seems to have relation to something with an axis, something that things turn around somehow. So there's. Uh, and, and Mundilfari is the father, if I remember correctly, of sun and moon. So, uh, so, and this idea of an axis that there is a center pole somehow, yeah. um, I think that's that's a really important idea. The the tree of the tree of the world, the Yggdrasil, as a, a as a central ordering principle. And I would tend to not think too much in the direction of a map. Uh, there probably is like mm. different parts of reality where you can go up mm. and down, but but people tend to sort of make it a little bit too cartoonish. I think where here is Midgard and here is Swat <laughs> of Fame and, 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 and you want to order it like <laughs> I think in, in reality it's much more a relation principle. And if you yes. see how the how these, uh, for instance, the ancient rune stones, they they are some of them are actually imaging, I believe, this this relating principle. And you see a tree in the middle, middle, and then often there will be a dragon around. And in in the Christian mm. time, this tree becomes a cross. Um, but the tree is controlling the dragon somehow. It's binding the dragon. Mm. So the dragon is there, but it's also it's kind of a a, a tension between something that is chaotic and outside the social. But also, it's also somehow channeling inside the social. Uh, so mm. that is uh, a thing that's there about the tree and the access. So, for instance, mm. you had a story of uh, <clears throat> troll women called Fenya and Menya, and they're grinding 
a big grindstone, and that stone produces the wealth of this kingdom of, of a mythic king, King Frodi, uh, here in mm -hmm. Seaford. And then he pressures these kind of forces of nature. He, he presses them too, uh, too hard, and they then turn on him. So instead of invoking or magically producing out of this axis that they are that they're driving instead of uh, uh, producing good fortune and wealth to his, his his realm they curse it and they and and uh, they they invoke war and collapse and run around oh. on the realm mm. so that's the result so i don't know if this relates so directly to the concept of time um i just have one more thing i want to say about life, the sense yeah. of time from that story yeah I was I was wondering, Rune, if if I may interrupt. Um, there, you know the maypole where you have the wheel that axes around it, which is the standing yeah. up in many always. Mm. Yeah. Uh, when I saw that, for me, it was a haggle rune in itself because the middle point is the pole, and then you have the the wheel circling around it, and it's it's a very ancient symbol. Is that something yeah. you would agree with? I think it's I think it's a fine as an association. Uh, I have slightly different associations uh, yeah. on the Hagal Moon from from what uh, Ivar uh, thinks. Uh, so so but but I think that these kind when you talk about stuff like runes, then you start to become to get into stuff that's I wouldn't talk about so much publicly. But but it's but it's um, uh, yeah. and I think it's stuff that you need to engage yeah. very much in your own path of, of, of acknowledgement and, no, and you but, think like that that those those um actually i think those poles and all that stuff yeah i think that is these kind of rituals often you find them all around around the year in different places because one ritual scheme can be used to do different things if, if you have a ritual that is burning a pyre then that can be used in may it can be used in mm. midsummer it can be used in yeah. uh, Halloween, it can be used at Christmas, it can be used even uh, here in February. So, uh, and, and I think when, when we talk about time, then all these kinds of rituals, uh, they express an idea of human engagement with time. We are, we, are, we are tied into it. And with regards to work, I think there's a, a deep acknowledgement that it is our work that does produce the uh, or contribute to the functional harmonious turning of the year so people when you look at the ritual year like like in i describe yeah. it in my book it's it's as if people are intensely involved you know and 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 particularly at some point of the year particularly around uh, around the darkest time mm. of the year intensely involved mm. in creating the the those things that will make time or that will make the world evolve in the right way and perhaps this is something oh. that relates to your your image uh tyson that thing that work uh produces the next turning the next turning mm. of the wheel somehow ah, it, but you've got a good brain ah got a good Thanks. mind <laughs> uh, and what about this uh midgard ser serpent is that like uh so is is the ouroboros like a domestication of that or a, a a sort of a wrong way of looking at that that midgard serpent or um is it the same I actually, thing? I actually don't remember the Ouroboros uh, myth. I, so I think that the, the, the Midgard serpent, um, that is iconic of the, the, out, the outside to the social. 
And when we see these, when we see these uh, figures, these trollish chaos force figures through the sources, we see them in a slightly Christian light. They become a bit more demonic than they probably were in pre-Christian times. So you see, for instance, that early Christian translations of Bible, uh, they will actually translate Leviathan in the Bible with Mythgard's Ordnot, so Mythgard Serpent, right? Mm. And uh, so, uh, and and I, I think that the important thing is is with these beings, these beings that can pose a threat to humans, human uh, social harmony, that relating to them is the important thing somehow. When when you, for instance, when you see the the uh, mm. those rune stones that that image the Mythgard serpent like a Mythgard serpent like dragon, um, so. Mm. Uh, and and the thing about biting its own tail, I I, I, I wouldn't I I'm not sure I would travel too far down that road. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, it's sometimes not, it's not the not the sense I got from some of the yeah things I heard, uh, like different yeah, and like it's not e way, eating its the Midgard serpent is not eating itself, is it? No, no. Yeah, no. but that's the difference. The Ouroboros is eating itself. Yeah, Midgard yeah. serpent is is going around, and yeah. maybe that's the difference with the with the laws of thermodynamics and the difference with time, because the Midgard serpent is kind of like our rainbow serpent here, you know, it just keeps going. Yeah, it, it's eternal. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's uh, you know, uh, closed loops. Yeah, you know, where everything yeah. everything is recycled around through through and across all the systems, and yeah. nothing's uh, created or destroyed. You know, it's yeah. it's constantly in motion, and so and, it makes and time you, more circular. Yeah, and when when you look at these forces, these chaos forces, then mm. then you often see that in the myth of the Ragnarok, then they will sort mm. of battle uh, deities that are sort of their opposition, right? So the Midgard mm, serpent, mm. which is called the stick of the earth, Jormungandr, it, or the monster of the mm. earth, is battling Thor, which is also called the sun of the earth. So there's something about mm. that these two are connected somehow. Now that is a little bit mm. rainbowish because Thor is a thunder god. I don't know. I'm, I'm associating mm. a little bit now. But when yeah. you see but if, no, if, well, if in my totemic the... system, in my totemic system, rainbow and lightning are associated. Okay. You know, with a particular okay. season awesome. and through that uh, rainbow snake yeah. as well. So yeah, for sure, I think from my my way of looking. I I, I remember from from the from from the Germanic perspective from our account, we had the 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 solar wheel, you know, running around. Mm. Uh, mm. We even have still we have the the what we do in a certain time of year. We have a wheel that we that we fill with hay and we light on fire and it rolls down to symbolize the rolling of the seasons. Mm. Um, and the, and oh. and the 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 the, nice. the 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 sun coming up and coming down. So um, I, I'm 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 looking because I'm hearing. I think there are also there's a, might be a little bit of a distinction between the the Scandinavian part and and the more Anglo-Saxon Saxon Frisian part sometimes when I listen mm. to it, uh, but I'm not Probably. sure mm. because Probably. when I when I hear these things, yeah. But it, it's also like. These things, the, these cosmologies and myths, they're so far back, and they are preserved from one tiny corner of Northern Europe, yeah. mm. where where thinking remained a slight bit freer, and that's Iceland. Mm. 
Uh, mm. Iceland is a little bit like Haiti in the Caribbean. It just remains yeah. this old weird sort of. Well, they, they'll still stop it. They'll stop a development today if the fucking elves get in the way, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You can't build that bridge there. <laughs> I mean, I, rec I recommend watching a movie called uh, Le Maître Fou by Jean Rouge. No, not not, not Le Maître yeah. Fou. It's called uh, uh, it's called um, Enquête sur le monde invisible, which is an, an investigation yeah. of contemporary uh, Icelandic uh, folk belief. And these people they're just chatting, chit chatting with elves all the time. Like you have mm. a dragon flying around outside a school. All the children <clears throat> looking at it, teachers looking at the dragon, teacher can also see the dragon. Then the, the teacher says, oh, let's go back in and paint the dragon as if it had been, a, I don't know, a bird or something. So the, they have, the, and it's amazing because like I, I've traveled on Africa, for instance, and that kind of immediacy of other than human experience that you, you find that uh, you find that a lot in Africa, that people will absolutely normally tell you a story about something that in a Eurocentric modern mm. perspective is really mm. supernatural and they had they just in iceland it seemed they never really got mind colonized in the same way as as a lot of the rest of us um mm. and here's another thing here's an, because this has to do with a, I this is my own personal theory i think it has to do with their language they th because they stayed in that little island up there they maintained a language that barely changed and that language was connected to an um, initiatory language which is called the mm. skaldic language it is so difficult that there are even though viking age religion is some of the most overstudied uh, mm. fields in the world today there mm. are perhaps five persons in the world who are able to properly read skaldic initiatory language and and there's mm. a whole literature in it nobody can read it mm. because it's just mm. too fucking difficult uh, uh, and Look, I, that, that's we, we have something like that. I was I was supposed to be um, initiated uh, near this place called Mornington Island uh, on, on Cape York. This was years ago, uh, but but it meant that I would I would have had to have stayed away from my family for like six months to a year, you know. Mm. And and it means you have to learn the initiatory language as well, which is only spoken mm. there, and that one's yeah. a fish language, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's full on. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. it's a language but like like fish would speak, you know. Apparently. And I don't know much more about it because it's all secret mm. business. But um, yeah, you have those initiatory languages. True mm. God. Uh, is it uh, also something I, I, I you have in happened, the Northern Hemisphere, same uh, way that we have down here? Yeah. Mm. I think that what I, happened I, in Northern Europe was that a lot of this initiatory knowledge was actually recorded in writing because people became Christian. So some, some of what is recorded in the Elder Edda, I think it's initiatory knowledge. I think it is because it's right. so bloody weird and intense and people understand it so relatively little and the skaldic language you can also you can sit down and study it it's just so bloody difficult that uh, yeah. that nobody really does it uh, but i think it has initiatory uh, <coughs> how, how do you feel about dialects because in the netherlands we have we have frisian we have groningen we have drents we have all these dialects and within these dialects there are also the ancient stories we have the big giants, Elet and Brammert, who created the part of the landscape, um, and that's there. So these are the, these old stories that are still there in the dialect. Um, and if you look at the dialect, it's 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 always, um, at least from my perspective, if I look at at the ones that I know of a bit, and I've looked at the, these dialects, then you also see that there is a different relation to the landscape. Mm. Um, I was wondering if, 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 for example, in Denmark, do you also have dialects in different regions where you can see the same thing? 
Um, yeah, there's a bit of dialect here, but Denmark is a relatively small country, and uh, uh, our our sort of social tradition has been a little bit centralized. We're very sort of kind of focused on this one big city, which is Copenhagen. Mm. But if you go to Norway, sure. for instance, you find much richer uh, dialect uh, dialect difference than than you do in Denmark. And of course, you find a lot of uh, of this uh, like close relating with landscape in, in dialect. I mean, I used to live with the Sami in northern Norway um, when when I was a young man. I, uh, I went and lived you went fin fairing. Yeah, I went fin fairing. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and, uh, and, uh, and there is like, there is not a rock on the side of a gigantic river in a huge landscape that doesn't have a name it's like so so kind of human the whole landscape is just the social space Mm. Uh, and but i think also to to quite some extent it has been lost in in uh, southern scandinavia because there used to be like when you read folklore there you the whole landscape just used to be crawling yeah. with sub- subjectivity, <laughs> and uh, and and that has sort of been destroyed a little bit by industrial farming. And uh, mm. um, no, but I can think, I, I, it's quite <laughs> interesting because in the Netherlands we have it's a we you know we, we are a very small country, but we have like seven dialects all around still. Okay, each, wow. each yeah. province has has its own dialect. And the funny thing is, if I go to Limburg, then they have those those rituals, but they still do them. Uh, which are part of guilds, etc., and and they are and they are more related to the Celtic. Uh, uh, and the more you go up, you see that the relationship changes. And if you go to the north, you have them more connected to to the to the to the northern uh, specific uh, groups. And within those dialects, and I would love to research that down at the time. In those dialects, you see that each province, each area, has its own legends, and it's still there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they still have their own kind of, of ceremonies. If if you look deeper, mm. so I, I, that, that that was something, and I agree with you because now it's it's, it's changing, huh? Because dialects are dying mm. out. People are not speaking anymore. You have Dutch, and Dutch has to be uh, simple Dutch. You don't have to. You uh, might proper yeah. These these kinds of languages are not allowed. So you have to be in in, in typical Dutch languages. Uh, Frisian is still taught in schools. Mm. But uh, but that's there. Uh, I was yeah. It's it's quite interesting to see if if there's a relationship with the land within the dialects, and how mm. that's connected to the land. Yeah, actually, uh, to- totally, totally. It, this reminds me about another story. I just want to throw out there. You might you might find it interesting, Tyson, for your your book. And that is that is what's happening today with the Icelandic language that I was talking about before. Mm. And I mean. <laughs> This language, the, such an amazing language. They 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 can they can pick up a Viking saga today and they can read it. They don't need a translation. <clears throat> from from contemporary Danish to uh, uh, an an Icelandic saga, there's a, the same distances between English and an Icelandic saga almost. You know, uh, but but they can read it today. But language is disappearing. You know why? Because there's so few Icelanders that. Uh, and and when their uh, children are um, playing uh, PlayStation games and watching uh, watching children's stuff on Netflix, then there are too few Icelanders for big game producers and Netflix to have it translated into Icelandic. So it's in English. 
So I have a I, I, I have friends from Iceland. They come and they tell me their children they they speak English with each other. Mm. So this uh, isn't isn't that? But they're not just... multilingual like you. You speak about. You speak. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Not only is your is your stone knife bigger than mine, but you speak heaps more languages than me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like I'm just gonna bust out some French, eh? Like just before. <laughs> yeah, but they, surely they're multilingual. Surely they're multilingual there. Yes, of course they're, they're multilingual. Bjork must be able to speak Icelandic. Surely to Christ, it's Bjork. She's yeah, from yeah. there, eh? Who? You said like that it was a Bjork. 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 Yeah, yeah, of course. A, of course. Yeah. And they still speak Icelandic and they still have the language and their whole system mm. is going Icelandic. But I just heard from my friend that their children are speaking English to each other because the, when the children are playing, because they are, are working with this Netflix uh, PlayStation reality that children mm. are immersed in today, then uh, then they, they, they get their fantasy and their play world into that and then they speak English to each other. And I don't know what, what will be the effect of that. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think I mean, I have another good friend who's an Inuit and he talked about how the deep changes in Inuit language was affected by colonialism in a way mm. that basically epistemologically changed ways mm. uh, people's ways of relating with, with, uh, mm. with other than humans. Uh, and uh, what's happening with these Icelanders who had this, I think, in a European context, unique, uh, unique immediacy in contact with traditional knowledge, access to other human subjectivities. I don't know, but uh, but it's 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 a thing. It's a problem mm. for them. Mm. What, 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 I, what, I, what I'm seeing with my students, I'm, I'm giving the assignment to them that they have to, to look it up in their own dialect. I have one from France, and I say, you do it in French, I don't mind. What I'm seeing is as soon as they dive into that, their grandparents are, are, are if they're still alive, they're going like, oh, wow, I'm going to help you out with this, and I'm going to do this. And I have one student, uh, and I'm, I'm inviting his, his father, who was in his 90s, and hopefully he survives uh, after COVID. Mm. I'm going to invite him, because this guy was full of knowledge about his, his dialects and of, of nature in that area. Which is is going to be lost if if and, and now you see that that it's it's being sparked mm. and um, he's taking it up, which is quite interesting because I think language is something you need to re your yeah. own language it is, is, is something you need to reconnect with the land. What this might be a good place to point and a, and a big struggle and there's no really good answer for it, but it's this big tension, you know. Uh, a really big tension between the preservation of culture and the keeping of culture as an artifact, you know, to preserve for the future, you know, static. But then that mm. is, uh, that makes entropy happen. That's like keeping it in a vacuum, mm. like in the Maxwell's demon little box there. You know, why would you keep it there? Like it has to change. Yeah. It has to evolve. It yeah. also, Rune has to creolize. It has to hybridize. It has to interact with other systems and exchange, freely exchange energy information. Yeah. That's what a living culture does. And so that's interesting when you're interested in, in recovering old culture, then what's that? Are you trying to get static bits frozen in time and bring them forward? See, Douglas Rushkoff talks about, uh, he calls it retrieving forward. It's not going back, but it's retrieving forward. And then I like that 
see my so um my elders have there's a there's a phrase to describe that action that hybridization between past past and present and 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 going into future that hybridization of culture and and it's um kanknanam nying inam um and that's it's untranslatable i can't translate it but that's i can i get a sense of just from the sound of the word like what it means you know and that means kanknanam realization it's realization the, from the, yeah yep shit i'm going to have and it's that not just it's not just and it's not a dialectic it's not a dialectic because i've tried to make it a dialectic i tried to do that i tried to do a you know a synthesis two things coming together to make a third thing it's not even that yeah. it's something else it's something okay. generative and it's something in yeah, yeah. when you're talking about these uh, entities of chaos you know uh in your cosmology i, I just keep seeing mm. entities of complexity mm. you know entity entities mm. of regeneration and yeah, just yeah. the spark yeah yeah that, yes yes life oh yeah and and yeah. energy yeah. in the universe yeah totally yeah. totally yeah totally and and, yes. and these now, now i just used this expression creatures of chaos but when you look at the mythology these are also very much mm. the creatures of wisdom they're the creatures of of uh, mm. exactly regeneration and uh, so there, that's totally these sort of uh, aspects, uh, aspects in those mm. those things. Totally, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I gotta have that. I like that. that, that um, like that. Like that Maxwell's demon, but they've been let out of the box. Well, they were never in the box in the first place. Yeah. Yes. They're out inhabiting these vast, yeah. Yeah. open, interrelated, interconnected systems. Um, mm. Terrible thing to put spirit in a box. Terrible mm. thing. Agreed. Yeah. yeah there's the, the and and there's been like this i think it's a it's a almost an inherent problem in the way that people are trying to uh reclaim past uh animist realities and so on that there's this mm. it's like it's so defined by the tendency to go back and then say oh that is right that is the right thing and then i yeah. become a little bit of uh, uh i become a little bit of an expert in it and then i can say that you're wrong and then it's all narcissism yeah. and blah 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 and that just it and it just means that everybody who who or a lot of the people who are engaged what you call heathendom or uh mm. pre-christian religion is just where as soon as you take a traditional knowledge where you look Fetishism. at uh, aspect yeah yeah <laughs> um as soon as you take the traditional knowledge perspective, where you looked at tradition as something that's dynamic, something that's changing and living, mm. then yes. you can you can look at your contemporary culture and you can say, oh, okay, yes. exactly like like you're doing, Michelle. You're going out and you're looking at the actual landscape, and yes. and uh, and like we we have yes. something here. We have Christmas. You know what is inside Christmas? Well, there's yes. a huge kind of complex of ideas about sacred things that you eat in certain ways the the, the christmas beer would you believe it it's like mm. a huge thing that's like tied in with seasonal animism and how the processes of the year are evolving and stuff Bing, like that yeah and, and 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 it's people still drink christmas beer uh but but it's this, but in in the processes of us becoming modern when animist knowledge practices have been rejected all that stuff has just been forgotten mm. so if you can if you can look at instead of sitting as as a historian and saying oh we don't even know if there were christmas beer in the viking age we don't uh but there probably no there was there was but uh yeah. we do know that but, <laughs> that's how i met rune <laughs> michelle this but, is how i met rune 
He like contacted yeah, me like, and he said, everything you said about Christmas in your book is bullshit. And that's how we met. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't say bullshit. <laughs> it was I awesome. Said, I said, everything you wrote in your book is yeah. amazing. I just a little bit. Like, that's the whole reason I have to write his book. Uh, he was nice about it, but I could tell he was mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay. I'm going to have to write a whole second book now just to correct that. Uh, hey, well, um, I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you so much, uh, Michelle. I'm going to call you Gruber because only because of Hans Gruber in um, in, in and, Gruber is too hard. <laughs> and Rune Rasmussen. That's an easy one. That's a good Australian name, Rasmussen. Yeah. Um, is it, is it, oh, that's very, very Danish thing. Oh, there's, there's, like, there's heaps of... Uh, there's heaps of Danish names. There's heaps of Danish names.